If you're like me, then you'll have been on the receiving end of a bad sales approach on LinkedIn, probably more than once. LinkedIn is a fantastic tool for networking and a great place to build your brand. It's a powerful platform, allowing you to connect with and reach out to just about anyone. But a powerful tool in the wrong hands quickly becomes a weapon, which all too often backfires on the one trying to wield it. Social selling on LinkedIn can be a bit like that. This week, my guest is Dana Lindahl, who runs an agency focusing on LinkedIn lead generation. And in this week's episode, he's going to walk us through his business story and exactly how to make LinkedIn lead generation the gift which keeps on giving. Hi there, and welcome back to Amplify, the digital marketing entrepreneur podcast. I'm Bob Gentle, and every Monday, I'm joined by amazing people who share what makes their business work. If you're new to the show, then take a second right now to subscribe so you don't miss new episodes and you can grab some older ones when you're done with this one. Don't forget to join our Facebook community too. Just visit the shortcut URL amplifyme.fm forward slash insiders and you'll be taken right there. So welcome along and let's meet Dana. So this week, my guest is Dana Lindahl. Dana, do you want to start just by telling us a little bit about who you are, where you are, and the kind of work you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Dana Lindahl. I've been running a company called Legendary Lead Gen since 2014. Uh, we're a U.S.-based company, and we specialize in helping other marketing agencies and B2B service companies to get in touch with their best clients and set sales appointments. Uh, we got our start doing this on, on email, it's cold email. Uh, we've made a switch primarily over to LinkedIn in 2018, and we've seen this whole landscape of lead generation and social selling change so rapidly month by month over the past year and a half that we've just been constantly adapting and, and shifting our approaches to uh, adapt to the always changing landscape. So I, of all the, the things that I could say to a customer, the one thing that always makes their eyes light up is the words lead generation. And the reason for that is that's really the fruit. That's the really the, the plum fruit of the whole process is a lead landing in your inbox. So I'm keen for you to maybe unpack this concept of lead generation. Maybe tell me a little bit of the story of what goes into that fruit for you. What does it take to get to that point where you have a lead to harvest? In, within your own context. Yeah, sure. So for us, you know, we're just going out and we're trying to, to start conversations with people. Uh, in the past, we used to run a lot more salesy style campaigns because it was working. You know, uh, I forget who made this quote, but there's a famous quote that say marketers ruin everything. You know, <laughs> everything works well until all the marketers come along and do it to death until it doesn't work anymore. And we need to come up with a new strategy. So. Uh, you know, the outbound system is something that's been around for, for decades. I mean, cold calling is, is essentially outbound selling. Uh, this switches over to, to email as folks realize that they don't want to be spending or that it's intrusive to be, you know, interrupting somebody with a phone call, whereas email, you can send somebody a message with your value proposition and they can read it at their own time. So when we got our start doing this, it was pretty easy to just be able to reach out to someone tell them the value proposition that we provide, tell them how that they can get in touch with us or book a call so they can learn more, and then walk them through the process. And if they feel like that we can provide value, then there's a high chance that they actually sign up with us. And that was our process 
since 2014, uh, I kind of started this company by accident, just by reaching out to some people for my own copywriting services. I was reaching out to funded startups back in 2014, and I was booking calls with people who, you know, they had millions of dollars in funding. And at the time, I was, you know, much younger and less advanced in, you know, my internet marketing career. I was freezing up on the phone because I didn't know how to write copy for a company with, you know, 20 million in venture capital. It was just outside of my realm. But these companies started to get back in touch and say, hey, Dana, I'm not interested in your copywriting services, but this email you sent me, it's good. I, I actually piqued my interest and I don't even know who you are. Would you consider doing this for us as a service? And I never ended up actually working with that company, but it's how I, I launched this, this company on the idea of, hey, I can figure out how to find a person's email address. I can get in touch with them with a message that hopefully resonates and we can get on the phone and discuss how we can work together. And that worked really well all the way from 2014 up until about 2018, I would say. And at that point, GDPR came along and I didn't think it was going to affect us, particularly as we weren't working with too many clients in the, in the EU. But what ended up happening was Google and Microsoft and all of these companies who control the large inboxes or the, you know, the big accounts, Gmail, Outlook, and things like that, they changed their algorithm for how things were, were placed. So overnight, our kind of highly targeted and thoughtful campaigns started going to spam. Meanwhile, I'm getting Viagra emails to my, my primary <laughs> inbox. And so the algorithm was, was really messed up for a while. And it was frustrating for us because we'd always built our company on being, you know, marketing focused, putting a good message out there that resonates with this target audience. And we never actually had to spend that much time on the back end infrastructure of how we stay out of the spam box because we didn't consider ourselves to be spam. Uh, but after that point, we, we started to think, you know, we're not able to fight this infrastructure and by the way, things are a little bit better now. You know, their, their algorithm has worked itself out. So if you're sending things that are resonating with your audience, you'll still get to their inbox. But at the time, we had to weather the storm. So we switched things over to, to LinkedIn. And it was actually great for us in the beginning because people weren't really utilizing the platform for, for this as much. And we were kind of the, the pioneers. You know, we took our expertise in copywriting. We took our expertise in targeting. And we simply applied it to a new platform. And that worked really, really well for a while. We were still able to reach out to people. We were able to be direct. We were able to put our value proposition out there and people who were interested raised their hand. And that was that, you know? It was still a very, very easy and straightforward process. But that's all changed in the past year and a half in, in how we, we go about things and what's actually working in terms of getting in touch with your target market on LinkedIn. There's been a massive influx of automation tools that have come out and, you know, I don't want to say that these tools being so cheap on its own is a bad thing, but that in turn causes people to not really spend the, the time and effort to really, you know, dive deep on how they should be doing this properly. If I've just, you know, quote unquote, invested in a tool that costs me $49 and it's going to allow me to reach out to a thousand people a month and just go do it, you know, blast some people some messages. I understand the thought process behind why people do that. You know, they haven't really, they don't have enough skin in the game at, $49 or so to, to really, you know, put their best foot forward here. So there's been a bit of a backlash in the past year and a half of, you know, LinkedIn is the best place to go to get pitched by someone that you don't know instead of LinkedIn is the best place to go to find a job as it used to be known. Yeah. And, you know, people are increasingly uh, getting frustrated with the fact that, you know, there's all these people reaching out to them and it just seems so tone deaf. 
And this even goes double in the fact that we're, we're in a pandemic right now where, you know, if you're not at least mentioning, you know, hey, I hope everything is going well for you. You know, I hope this you know, message finds you well or something, you know, kind of generic like that. People are like, are you serious? Are you reaching out to me with this kind of, you know, crap? To be perfectly honest, especially right now. And it's, it's not resonating with people anymore. Um, so I guess that doesn't quite answer your question about what does this <laughs> look like for us uh, nowadays. Um, but the way that we're, we're shifting uh, the whole thing on its head now is, and it's working especially well during the, the pandemic where people are not necessarily buying, and we were starting to do this since last year, is we switched the way that we, we run our, our campaigns and the way that we run our lead generation efforts on, on LinkedIn to be less of a, you know, hey, here's my product, here's why it's great, would you like to get on a call and find out why you should use it to, you know, hey, I, I want to get to know new people in my network. I want to be building these relationships, and I also want to be a helpful person. So we no longer reach out to people with, you know, messages that are, you know, here's my Calendly, let's get on a call, and, you know, let me pitch you on something. But, hey, I, I wrote this article recently. I think that you'd find it valuable. Um, sometimes we ask for, for feedback on it, too, because people love to be, you know, asked for their opinion because they're an expert on it. Um, we found this to be one, a great way to just build out a network and create relationships with new people in your target market. And because you're not pitching them directly as everybody else is doing, you know, the, the relationship starts off with a bit more trust. And, you know, people are actually more willing to hear you out and, and listen in to your marketing message because you haven't started off the relationship with, hey, buy my stuff. And I say that as a person who used to send out a ton of messages that said, hey, buy my stuff. You know, um, we, we've had to adapt in that sense. But the real big thing that I see as an opportunity for, for companies right now is not just reaching out to people and being a helpful person because there's only, you know, so far that that, that can go, right? Uh, we really want them to be building out their network with a targeted group of, of people who could be buyers or even better, you know, are connected with people who, who could be buyers because the, the platform itself, in, in terms of the content publishing platform, is content efficient compared to a lot of the other platforms that are out there you know, currently for social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, you know, all those have way more content than people can actually consume. Uh, the percentage and ratio of people posting towards consuming is, is out of whack, whereas LinkedIn, it's a very small percentage of people who are actually posting. Uh, so what this means is that if you, you know, are publishing content, you know, regularly to your, your LinkedIn newsfeed, status updates, you know, not things that are difficult or long form to write, this has massive exponential growth. And I know that's not generally a good word in this, uh, <laughs> this period of the year. Uh, but, you know, on, on Facebook, you see your friends' updates. Maybe you see a friend of a friend. But on LinkedIn, you see your connections, you see your connections, connections, you see your connections, 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 which may not sound like a value add as you're scrolling through your own newsfeed. But as you start posting content and, you know, you know, thoughtful things to your own profile, this is reaching a huge network of people. And all this kind of comes back around in, in sort of a roundabout way to drive targeted, uh, excuse me, targeted traffic towards your profile which has been optimized to tell people exactly how you can help them and what your value actually is. So we take this whole method and instead of trying to just blast people with what our, our value proposition is and hope that they like it, we provide value to these people, let them come into our kind of web of our marketing message 
and then they start to discover who we are on their own. And because it's not just a, hey, here's who I am, would you like to talk to me? But, you know, they've been following our content, they've been seeing what we've been talking about, if it's resonating with them, then they go and, you know, they, they visit our profile and they see how they can get in touch with us. It also is a much better way to, to bring in clients, we've found at least in terms of client quality, because they're already coming to us with a bit of an understanding of how our methodology works and the, the way that we like to do things, and they're in agreement with it already. Uh, this just makes our job a lot easier and to an extent, you know, our clients who are selling in the same way because people come in and aren't trying to reinvent the wheel with them or say, okay, well, this is your process, but we kind of want to do it this way. You know, people are actually hiring them for the things that they've been putting out there. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, out of what you said, I mean, you've given me amazing context. That's possibly one of the best s snapshots of what you do I've ever heard. But out of that come a few questions. And you mentioned people using automation tools to shortcut an awful lot of the finesse that is that should really be brought to this. A lot of the LinkedIn tools that I've come across come with huge health warnings as far as your the longevity of your LinkedIn profile is concerned. And I, I'd be interested in your perspective on this because it's not my area. But how safe are these LinkedIn automation tools to use? It's sort of a spectrum. Uh, very few people actually get banned outright just for simply using an automation tool. Uh, the most common response from LinkedIn is to send you a warning and it will say that either they've detected a tool that you've used or they suspect that you're using a tool based on the type of activity that's happening within your account. You often agree to not do that anymore, whether you have been using it or not. You know, people can get warnings simply for, you know, literally just being a power user and, you know, adding a thousand people and just spending eight hours on LinkedIn, you know, because mm -hmm. that's not normal behavior. Uh, but generally, the you won't get banned unless you continue to do this. You know, every infraction sort of adds up. My personal stance on automation tools is I, I don't like them. I don't recommend them to anybody. There are a few safe ones that that are out there, but I'm even hesitant to, to recommend those. Mm. Um, the one thing that I will say to people in terms of safety with automation tools, if you're still thinking about using one, is this. It's if you use a Chrome-based extension, absolutely all of the activity that that extension is automating on your profile is 100% viewable, trackable, and stored by LinkedIn, and they're looking for that activity from these tools that they have come to identify as automation tools. If you are going to use a tool, it needs to be a cloud-based tool. It's often a standalone piece of software. Again, I'm hesitant to recommend any specific ones just because I don't believe automation is the way to, to go about this. Um, the main problems with, with automation is, you know, a lot of these platforms have been getting better at detecting replies and, and knowing when to cut the conversation off and not just send the next message anyways and, and things like that. But that's not even my, my issue with it. It's that most of the these automation tools, they, they simply pull from a, a sales navigator list. Uh, for anyone who's not familiar, Sales Navigator is, is LinkedIn's premium product that allows you both uh, much more granular abilities to filter. Um, regular uh, A regular LinkedIn account, I believe, only allows five filters, whereas Sales Navigator allows you to have access to over 30 of them and use them all simultaneously. And you also get a little bit more leniency in your outreach for, for having it. Uh, but it's not a perfect tool. You know, LinkedIn's incentive is to show you more people 
then are actually a good fit because they want you to think that they're showing you a ton of good potential leads. So as you start getting down the list more, it's not actually that targeted, even if you've run your, your searches as well as you possibly can. So the issue becomes most of these tools operate off of a LinkedIn sales navigator URL, which you've only been able to set through filters. And it just sends these messages to these people and half of them are not targeted. I personally receive about five times a day uh, connection requests and pitches from LinkedIn lead gen agencies offering me appointment setting services and leads <laughs> from LinkedIn because I'm in the marketing and advertising industry as running an agency and they're targeting other agencies. But because they're running it through these automation tools, they're not able to remove me as a bad fit. And, you know, I often partner with other agencies and, you know, work with them on, on certain things. And I can tell immediately which ones are worth partnering with or not, or rather not, if they've reached out to me and pitched me in my own service. It doesn't instill confidence that they do a good job in, in their own targeting for, for their clients. But all this comes back to say that if you're using these automation tools, you're going to have a lot of bad fits into there. So we hand target everything. We start with a sales navigator search, of course, because that's the best way to get a short list. And then we go through and we remove people or we whitelist people. But that's a manual process. It takes a human being going in there and, and actually doing that. Um, so a lot of my clients, I recommend that, that they're going to hire someone to do that. I'm a big fan of, of hiring, you know, overseas and, and you know, uh, places like Eastern Europe or, you know, things like that where the, the wages are a little bit cheaper and people are more willing to do repetitive tasks all day for their work. Uh, it's a little bit difficult to put a, you know, an, an American or a Canadian or a Brit into a seat and tell them, click this button eight times a day or, you know, eight <laughs> hours a day and, you know, you'll, you'll get paid for it. Whereas, you know, a lot of places around the world, this is, this is you know, wanted. And you're going to spend a few hundred dollars on this this person maybe part-time to, to help you out with these things and help you to you know filter through some of these results so that you're only reaching out to uh, people who are actually a targeted fit and at that point why even automate the, the sending you know you're already paying this person a few hundred dollars maybe a bit more have them handle the sending as well I really don't see many advantages to using the automation tools given the risks that are, are there even however small they are uh, to me, the, the bigger risk of using an automation tool is just making a fool of yourself rather than actually getting your, your account suspended. Yeah, and that does happen all the time. I mean, like you, I get these approaches frequently where you can just see the targeting is, is wrong and it just makes, it's, it's like the curtain's been pulled back on, on a poor service. But when it's done well, it, it feels like it's done with integrity and that essentially is is what it has to be it has it has to come across as well done otherwise it's either it's binary it's either good or it's bad there's nothing in the middle and you don't want to be the bad and as you said 50% with automation if it's 50% bad that's bad it is it is and you know a lot of people coast by on this or kind of trick themselves into thinking that this is all a, a great tactic to be using because people will make sales with these bad tactics. I mean, people all the time will, will reach out to someone who just so happens to need what it is that they sell. And, and the timing was perfect. If you're sending out a thousand messages a month to people and not targeting them very well, within a couple of months, you'll get somebody. What's the, the saying? Uh, you know, uh, even a stopped clock is, is right twice a day, right? <laughs> you'll find somebody in there who's willing to hire you. And the trouble is, is a lot of these people will use that as validation that 
this is the, the thing that I need to be doubling down on. And because they're, they're able to, to do this through automation and through, you know, kind of cheesy tactics, they think that, you know, why would they need to improve upon this? When in reality, they'll have a lot better results if they just, you know, improved upon their whole process, came across as a human, actually sold socially rather than just calling it social selling and then automating everything else. Uh, but a lot of people won't take that step because they don't see the value in it because they made a sale, you know, just by reaching out and, and you know, saying what they had to say and, and someone agreed to it. That validates the concept to them and, and keeps them going. I would be interested on your perspective on the tracking of this whole relationship process. Now, to anybody listening, they might think, that sounds a bit crude, tool to track relationships. That's what businesses are often based on as a CRM tool. The tools generally, as you mentioned, you're pulling data from Sales Navigator in LinkedIn. That data needs to live somewhere when, you, when you're not working within Sales Navigator or an automation tool. So how do you typically manage the tracking of that data? Who's, who's been messaged what, what stage people are at, how warm people are, that kind of thing? It's really difficult. Uh, LinkedIn by design makes this difficult to do. Uh, they do this for two reasons. One is they want you to stay within their Sales Navigator product as your CRM. And I'll go on record anywhere to say that it's a bad CRM. It's, it's not a good CRM to, to rely on fully, uh, both in terms of UI, UX, and also for the fact that it's you know, pretty insular, just focused on, on LinkedIn. Uh, if you cancel your, your LinkedIn Sales Navigator account, any tags and any conversations that you have within Sales Navigator are now gone forever. Their incentive is to keep you signed up for Sales Navigator and keep you signed up forever on Sales Navigator. The second thing is that they do not want you extracting, uh, exporting, importing. Well, importing is okay, actually. They don't want you exporting anything from the platform. And I believe this is actually a GDPR thing where, you know, if anyone is, is really geeky on this whole GDPR, they're the data controller. If you extract or export data from them and use it incorrectly, they are now on the hook for, for all these fines. Um, so most tools that are, are built to export data out of LinkedIn are also uh, uh, going to get you a, a suspension or a warning similar to, to automation tools. Um, not because they, they believe that it's going to you know, lower the integrity of the platform, but they're, you know, it's a legal issue for them, I believe. Yeah. So it's, it's frustrating. It's honestly the, one of the most frustrating things about running a, a company that has LinkedIn as such a major element of it. Um, we personally use Airtable uh, as we've been able to tweak it and, and hack it to all of our specific needs and, and what our clients need. And we just simply enter conversations into Airtable for our clients and recommend that they use that as a dashboard for actually finding the conversations. Otherwise, the, the inbox gets so messy with, you know, hundred or so messages a day and it's hard to find people and you know even people respond back and they're interested to talk and you might lose them in there um, but that's not super helpful for your your listeners because not everyone is going to have a full team you know at ready to just put all of their conversations into to LinkedIn for them um, my biggest recommendation is to get conversations going off the platform as, as soon as you possibly can. Um, once you realize that there's some sort of, you know, 
synergy or, or mutual interest in having a, a further conversation with somebody suggest to, to take it elsewhere. Uh, people are often really averse to the, hey, let's jump on a call, because that's often code for, you know, can I pitch you something? Um, but oftentimes taking things to email can work. And then you have all of your other CRM tools. Um, I unfortunately don't have a really great answer for how to, to manage these things all efficiently. Uh, the one thing I can say is uh, a few of the newer cloud-based automation tools uh, don't even require you to log into LinkedIn so that you can manage all of your you know, messages in your inbox directly from that tool. And oftentimes they'll be a little bit better at managing the conversation. Um, not that I'm actually recommending people go do that, but they are kind of filling a market gap with that LinkedIn is ignoring, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, no, I was kind of expecting the answer that you gave to an extent where it's not easy. And if it was easy, to be honest, your, your company wouldn't really have a place in the market. That's it's what you're offering is essentially a very simple value proposition is we'll take something hard and we'll do it for you uh, because it's what we focus on. So there, there shouldn't be an easy answer. Airtable was effectively the answer I was angling for. Um, I was expecting something like that or something as crude as a spreadsheet because there's nothing really ready made for this. Yeah, I believe there is one product that, that will do it uh, and that LinkedIn approves of. Um, I think it's a HubSpot product. Uh, it requires, of course, a premium HubSpot account and the, the next tier up of Sales Navigator, Sales Navigator team, which, mm -hmm. you know, even if it's just you, you got to pay for, for team for it to work. I do believe that that's a way to import and export conversations in a way that LinkedIn allows. Uh, I'm not a HubSpot user personally, so I, I can't speak to the efficacy of it directly well i i think for for the majority of my audience that's probably not the right tool anyway what i would like to understand a little bit is obviously if if my company is hiring somebody to do linkedin outreach when that's being done i'm guessing that's being done through the client's linkedin profile by you as a third party initially have I got that right so far? Generally, there are some companies out there uh, that will set up a fake profile and run campaigns from there and then just forward leads onto their clients as like a, an introduction. I think that that's awful. Uh, I, I really disagree with that. And I, I, I won't even mention names of companies that, that do that. I don't think it's a, you know something that should be gaining more exposure. Uh, but certainly, most campaigns are being run directly from uh, the person who's signed up for the service. I recommend for most companies to have this come from the founder or somebody on the management team, even if they aren't the ones to actually be logging into their own account to respond back to the leads and the interested people. Uh, because if you do it, you know, from the very beginning, uh, only from, uh, you know, an SDR's profile, if they leave the company, they take all that with them. Uh, there's certainly, you know, uh, scenarios at scale where it's it's great to have these SDRs running this but if you're just getting started with with campaigns and you want to have this data you want to see how it's going I definitely recommend having uh, someone from management be the profile that it all comes from and at what point is that being handed off to the client how how warm is warm enough for you to hand off so it really depends uh, for us personally we have a few different service options uh, 
with some of our clients that we've been working with a little bit longer, we'll actually help them to go back and forth and try to set the the sales appointments themselves so that they just need to show up for the call. Um, of course, any company that, that does that for their clients charges a whole lot more for it because that's more than just you know lead generation and knowing how to run campaigns, but it's also being able to essentially act as an arm of the company and answer questions on their behalf about you know different packages and you know how they run their process or if it even makes sense for the two people to get on the phone together um, but a lot of times we we hand things off to them at the point of the first response uh, we fully believe that our campaigns are only there to produce that response to, to generate a conversation and then the conversation needs to turn to a more natural organic way uh, for it to be valuable to anybody you know templated messaging can only go so far and we really push being genuine you know putting your genuine self out there and we find that that can be very difficult for us to be genuine on behalf of others in real time we can write content on their behalf that they can approve and, and edit before it goes out and before it gets published but trying to automate or outsource genuineness in real time is very difficult Mm. Well, I think particularly when it's direct message, where it's potentially really, really quick. Mm -hmm. Exactly. One thing I would like to ask you about that I hadn't, it's, it's popped into my head from time to time over the last few months. Chatbots are becoming a big thing across lots of platforms, Facebook Messenger in particular. Being somebody that's really focused on the LinkedIn space, have you come across anybody looking at chatbots for LinkedIn yet? I haven't, actually. Um... I think it will be one of those things that will either be officially supported by LinkedIn or will have a very, very short lifespan of people trying to force it into the platform against LinkedIn's will. Um, Facebook obviously supports chatbots as they, you know, they have a whole platform and API built around it. Um, I'm unsure if people are going to be able to, to build these out, but at the same time, a lot of these tools that people are using are essentially just, just chatbots that, you know, respond back to people based on triggers and things like that. Mm, I guess so. Yeah. I hadn't looked at it like that. One other thing you spoke about earlier on was the really low signal to noise ratio on LinkedIn. There's an awful lot of noise and not a lot of actual substance. And I think a lot of people underestimate that because when you open LinkedIn, you scroll through content, but it's very hard to realize actually how little content there is relative to the number of people that are there. And I'm curious to know, again, as somebody who's focuses on that one platform, there probably isn't one simple answer to this question, but it's a question I'm asked all the time. What is the sweet spot in terms of a posting frequency on LinkedIn? if you are somebody that's looking to be consistently visible so that when you're doing outreach, you're, you're up, that visibility alongside the direct contact is, is there at, at, a, at a density sufficient to support the other things that you're trying to do. Does that question make sense? Yeah, definitely. Um, so just like anything algorithm-based, uh, you know, you'll never know the real answer or at least the company that controls the algorithm will never tell you what's really going on. So it's up to people like myself and you know other companies running services similar to my own to come up with our own interpretations. I personally believe that most people should be posting a minimum of twice a week on LinkedIn if they're using this for their own lead generation efforts or even just for you know branding and, and awareness. Um, I don't really recommend posting more 
than once a day, uh, except in certain situations. If you have a huge following, then you know, kind of go ahead and post as, as much as you want. Uh, but the thing about LinkedIn is it's all about their algorithm and how they display things to people. And generally, when you make a new post, it starts to cancel out the engagement and how they're spreading that post to people from the previous post. So sometimes we have clients that we're, we're doing uh, content campaigns for them, posting status updates regularly. Some days we'll skip a day. If we wake up in the morning and their post from the day before is still trending, it's still getting comments, it's still getting likes, they're still receiving incoming connection requests and inquiries about their service from it, which is the whole goal of, of this, uh, then we'll often just take the next day off. Even if we have a, a killer post scheduled for that next day, we'll just shift our content calendar forward one day because we don't want to you know, catabolize the effectiveness of the previous post. That makes a lot of sense. So just wait for one wave to finish before you start writing the next one. Mm -hmm. I also, I wanted to ask you again, this one of the things that happens to me all the time is the connection request comes. You think, okay, they're vaguely relevant, click accept. And then comes the direct message saying, and this is this is the standard one for me recently. Hi, I'm a financial advisor. I would like to talk to you about your pensions, protection, life insurance. And this is directly after a connection request has been accepted. Now, that's obviously not how we should go down. In marketing, they often say it takes the average of seven touches before somebody's ready to do business with you. And you'd kind of described a similar process where you, you need to you need to woo or court your prospect and a lot of people are not very creative they're not very imaginative so i'm curious to know how do you cover those seven touches with enough variety to make it not repetitive do you know what i mean yeah for sure uh so people are big on the follow-ups and there's all these you know studies and, and everything across cold email campaigns and linkedin campaigns about how many touches are are necessary um, I often take the approach that after about three or four direct ones, if there's no engagement, if there's no answer, then, you know, I'm not doing myself uh, a favor by continuing to reach out here. I'd rather this person, you know, come in and start realizing where I am and all the different places that I'm active on the internet, rather than just continuing to, to hammer them with these messages over and over and over. I mean, I, I can pull up some messages on my, my LinkedIn account where I can scroll back, you know, a year and a half and I have up to 20 different messages from this one person and I've never responded to any of them and they just get increasingly more desperate as, <laughs> as time goes on. Um, in terms of staying creative and, and how to keep making these touches, um, you know, I my go-to is always just, you know, be helpful, provide value. I know that that's kind of cliche, uh, but there's really no shortcut to that you know if if you are just trying to to skip the line and basically you know someone who's a financial advisor who's reaching out to you and, and asking to you know talk about something as, as serious as advising you and your finances I mean they're they're basically asking you to marry them before you even had the first date and <laughs> it just doesn't work uh, so yeah I always just fall back to you know being a helpful person the thing about the way that we run our campaigns is is that you're not excluded from being able to make a pitch to any of these people 
it's not like it's it's a mutually exclusive process. Uh, you can reach out to people and, and be helpful, and then you can realize, hey, this person who just accepted my connection request is actually the perfect client for us because they're the you know rife for being able to take advantage of our one you know secret method that we have, right? Mm. So that might be a good person to kind of break the the system and say, hey, I'm gonna actually reach out to this person and you know tell him why I think that we should do business together. Now, that might still work for, for some people, but if you start every conversation off like that, then you often lose the opportunity to have any form of a conversation with anybody. But if you start the conversation off on a, you know, I wanna connect, I wanna build relationships with people, I'm willing to help, and I just wanna grow my network, and you're, you're genuine about that, then you do have opportunities to actually make that pitch when it's sensible. Again, that makes a lot of sense. What I, again, I'd like to spin things around a little bit and find out actually what is, you'd be very generous with your knowledge and the insight and anybody that's listening, wanting to up, game, up, up their game on LinkedIn, this is a lot for them to, to work with there. But I'm curious to know for you as an agency, what does an ideal customer look like for you? And what's a, what's a bad fit? Sure. So for us, we work with a lot of marketing agencies and B2B service companies. Uh, for us, the, the thing that's really difficult is when we have a company coming to us with really not a lot to differentiate themselves within the marketplace. So this is, you know, just your standard SEO company or your standard PPC company that really just is doing the same as all these other PPC companies. The absolute worst is just kind of an all-around digital marketing agency uh, that doesn't have much recognition in their market. This is going to be extremely difficult for us to produce a result for them because there's nothing about them that actually stands out and, and makes people want to be interested in them. It's also something that's difficult for us because we'll try to create content on their behalf and, and We'll oftentimes try to take a slightly controversial angle or, you know, something that will just stand out. And these companies by design of just being sort of generalist agencies that don't stand out from the pack don't like to stand out when we make suggestions for them to do so. It's not that they don't like doing it. It's just that they're it's outside of their their normal thought process of how they go about things. And that's compounded by the fact that, you know, there's nothing on paper about them immediately visible to make them more intriguing than, you know, another company. Uh, similar to that is, you know, just companies selling commodity type things is, is very difficult. Um, but for us, it's basically any B2B service company uh, that's just willing to be open and, and try new things in terms of their, their marketing message is a great client for us. I think there was quite an interesting observation there with, um, and it, it's, it's an agency thing, it's actually a very general thing that everybody wants to fit in and particularly the marketing agencies nobody really wants they all want to stand out they all think they want to stand out but they don't want to turn anybody off and the funny thing with marketing is that if you want anybody to be actively for you you're going to have to accept that you're going to have to have a number of people that are actively not for you and that this polarizing if you want a strong positive attraction you can't have it without an equally strong negative attraction uh, and that's why everybody becomes quite bland. It's yeah, uh, yeah. it's the the concept of trying to appeal to everybody actually ends up appealing to to nobody. Yeah. So, and a lot of people are just trying to make themselves, you know, appealing to everybody out there. Mm. So I'm curious to know. I mean, you've been in business since 2014. LinkedIn 
for the last couple of years. What are your plans for lead, legendary lead gen? Where do you want to go with things? Yeah, so it's an interesting question, especially as we are in the midst of this pandemic and, you know, a lot of people are, you know, stopping marketing spend or shifting their marketing spend towards other things. Um, I have been shifting our focus lately towards training and helping other companies to gain this knowledge to do it better on their own. And I've been doing this for a few reasons. One is that I really dislike the way the market is headed here with how it's becoming commonplace to just send out spammy messages to people and to think that that's okay. And I have, you know, competitors of mine and, you know, people who run these sorts of campaigns who think I'm absolutely wrong and think that I'm, you know, doing a disservice to people in the industry by saying, you know, not to be a spammer. I don't know how that makes sense in, in their minds, but, you know, I think that I have an opportunity here to sort of shift the perspective of, of people, maybe not on my own, but I want to start empowering enough people to be using a better system, not just a better system, but to be using the platform more responsibly so that we can all continue to use it and enjoy it and, you know, still make, get new business from it. Uh, the platform essentially is, is, you know, a B2B networking platform. There's no secret that people are supposed to be using it to win new business. It's just the way that people go about it that's gotten so screwed up in the past year and a half. So I just want, I really want to be putting my, my message out there so that I can affect a larger number of people because if people, you know, follow my advice and they start doing more sensible campaigns that resonate better with their target audience, everybody wins. And mm -hmm. I'm able to do that better at scale than simply bringing on clients at our, our higher ticket price for us to actually do it for them. Uh, second is I am seeing a shift, of course, during the pandemic away from people being able to spend this much on done for you services right now. People spend or people notice the value. They, they see it. They recognize it. But, you know, to be able to hire a company like ours, it might not be feasible for them right now, whereas they not only have a, a lower budget, but they have extra time right now to invest into learning some of these things for themselves. And then third is that, to be completely honest, I don't see a long future. And when I say long, I would say longer than about two or three more years in offering done for you services like this. And I say that because I feel like the industry or the market is going to shift so much in a way that this needs to be actually genuine. You know, people are going to become so averse to anyone who's reaching out to them with this tone deaf style that it's going to be incredibly difficult for any company to do this well on somebody else's behalf without charging an absolute arm and a leg for it. Uh, you know, basically about the same amount that you'd hire to put a sales development rep in a seat and just do it for you, you know? Uh, so those three things are all kind of combining to me wanting to shift towards training uh, for the greater good and also just where I see the industry going. And I think your insight there is absolutely right. I think one of the big problems that I have with content marketing across the board is having somebody do it for you is always a poor substitute for doing it yourself. And I think was it Gary Vaynerchuk said 80% of whatever it 80% of your time should go into whatever it is you do for money and 20% of your time and this is for every business should should go into becoming a media company and by media company he's talking about building relationships online using whatever is available everybody in, is rushing to delegate that 20% but if you own it as you're describing there you'll be that much more effective because people want to engage with you not with a delegate and 
yeah, it'll always be more powerful. So you're absolutely right to be looking towards the future as teaching people to fish rather than selling them fish. It, it will always be a more sustainable business model. And the whole industry is, is going that way. But there will always be a place for people who just want things done for them. And it's nice to hear that the service is being done as much as it possibly can be with integrity rather than just mass spray and pray messaging as as we all get yeah well you can still find some people who will sell that to you as a service sell that to you as a service as well yeah but they won't get on my podcast no (laughs) dana you have been a fantastic guest very generous with your knowledge very generous with your time if people want to connect with you how would you like them to do that so LinkedIn is obviously a great way to connect with me. Uh, I know my name can be a little bit difficult to, to remember or spell offhand. Um, so maybe people can check out the show notes and just copy paste my name over there. Uh, but our website is legendaryleadgen.com. Uh, we have a contact form at the bottom of the page. Uh, I always open up myself to just help people out and provide some advice or if they're already running campaigns, some feedback of how they could be improving upon those. Anybody who reaches out to me on LinkedIn, sends a connection request and asks for it or submits anything through the contact form, uh, you know, just put your profile in there. Tell me a little bit more about who it is that you're looking to, you know, find as clients. And I often send across a Loom video, uh, just kind of giving some advice, you know, where I suggest that they they spend their time uh, and their focus or how they can be improving upon their their profile, which I see is their, you know, landing page for LinkedIn that they should be driving traffic to. You know, I'm always happy to to help people. Um, So anyone who wants any, you know, feedback on what they're doing or any advice on what they should be doing, feel free to reach out. I I generally send across a a Loom video, but I do sometimes just get on calls when it makes sense too. I, I like to help people out. Be careful what you wish for. (laughs) yeah let's see how many inquiries i get (laughs) i always try and end the interview with the same sort of signature question and i've been really good with it recently so my question is what's one thing you do now that you wish you'd started five years ago definitely the the training side of things i feel like if we had started this uh you know when we started the company because we were one of the first companies to really sell outbound as a service when i would get on on the phone with people they would say really you you run cold email campaigns as a service for me. I've never heard of that before. So, you know, not that we were the first to do it, but we were one of the first. And I feel like if we had established ourselves more as, you know, the authorities in how to do this rather than the people you go to to do it for you, and we could do both simultaneously, I, I feel like that we'd be already much, you know, farther ahead in the, the pivot that we're making right now, uh, as well as hopefully, uh, you know, have been able to affect the overall landscape of the lead gen industry. Hopefully we just, you know, even if we can get 1% of the people who are out there, not even 1%, you know, half a percent of the people who are out there running campaigns to consume some of our content and just think a little bit more about how they're approaching people. I think that would have a, you know, good overall effect for everybody on the platform. Dana, you've been a great guest, very generous. Hopefully everybody listening, both of them, right, actually, will be a little bit more courageous with their LinkedIn outreach. But yeah, thank you very much for coming. Hopefully I'll speak to you again sometime. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I had a great time recording this. Like a lot of things, I think the thing to remember is that just because you can doesn't mean you should. Before you jump into LinkedIn sales outreach, make a plan. 
Consider how you're going to both authentically and systematically build rapport and court your prospect before you jump in and ask for a meeting. If you get it right, you'll probably find your prospect surprises you and makes the first move. I hope that wherever you are, you're staying safe. I know there's a lot of talk about social distancing rules being relaxed, and I'd urge you again to remember that just because you can doesn't mean you should. Think twice about meeting up with people when we're allowed outside again and help keep everyone safe. Before I go, just a quick reminder to subscribe. And if you haven't already, then join our Facebook group. You can find a link in the show notes or just visit amplifyme.fm forward slash insiders. And that will take you straight into the Facebook group. I would love for you to connect with me on social media. Follow me wherever you hang out. You'll find me at Bob Gentle. And if you do, then message me. Let me know so I can follow you back. If you enjoyed the show, then I would love for you to review it on iTunes. It means a lot to me. I read them all, and it's the very best way to help me reach more subscribers. My name's Bob Gentle. Thanks again to Dana for giving us his time this week and to you for listening. And see you next week.